Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector, and with me as usual is Mr. Rob Hirschfeld. Good uh, day, Rob. Hello, Stephen. So, uh, Rob, we have something different today. We're doing a four-person podcast, which is very exciting. And uh, two of the people were with me last week at the uh, Game Developer, I think it's Gamers Developer Conference, GDC 2019 in San Francisco last week. And it was a very interesting uh, event. And I thought it was great, you know, to push it on our podcast for people who really might not understand how gaming development works and where they are with cloud and things like that. So um, I have the two guests, uh, Alan Evans from Edge Gravity and uh, Chathan Venkatesh from um, Macrometa, who we've had on before. And uh, Alan, this is his first time, so I've dragged one of my new colleagues in. And what I'll have them each do is do a quick uh, little overview of their thoughts of the event. Um, what their takeaways were. And then from there, Rob, I, I think you'll have some questions and I have some additional ones as well. And we'll run. So, Alan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here, Stephen. Great. So, Alan, let's let's talk a little bit. Uh, you know, we went to the event last week uh, to learn more about gaming, uh, how development works and things like that. Can you give us maybe one or two of your kind of key takeaways from the event, what you discovered, um, what you learned there? Oh wow! Well, first of all, yeah, it was uh, it was my first time time at a gaming uh, conference, so uh, you know, really interesting to sort of be exposed to lots of new people, all the new booths, and uh, and what have you. So, uh, and I really enjoyed the vibe. I thought it was you know very uh, you know very open, very inclusive, super friendly bunch of you know of companies and people. You know, always ready to talk about anything. Um, you know, it was really nice. There wasn't much secrecy there. There was just people just wanting to talk about, you know, cool stuff, cool games, and, uh, you know, creating great experiences. So I really enjoyed that. Any, Alan, any companies that you saw, any kind of technologies that you saw there that were really interesting um, that kind of stood out for you? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the one that stood out the most to me um, kind of was the a company called Genvid, I think it is. Um, you know, very kind of an SDK kind of plugin thing. Um, you know, what they were doing was was really sort of bridging the gap between uh, the the gaming industry and the media industry, or the the new media industry. You know, TV and media. So, you know, cr and creating kind of a, you know an entertainment experience for people who, who aren't actually playing the actual game. Um, but giving them a way to participate in the game in an interactive manner. And, uh, you know, that felt like the future right there. Well, I thought their demonstrations, and they had four or five live streaming demonstrations of people watching other people play the game on Twitch, where you could participate from the outside. It reminded me a bit of Hunger Games, where if <laughs> I saw someone dying, I could uh, throw something into the arena. Um, yeah, it, it was almost a little spooky for me, but but certainly streaming is big, and, and we'll come to, of course, Google's big announcement on streaming, but it was interesting. Um, I agreed with you on GenVid, and they were doing streaming, and I thought what they had was way beyond what Google was even so, so I, I, I want to. I just want to be make sure I'm, I'm clear on this. This is basically a second second person experience, uh, meaning as in second person perspective. So, so one of the things that you're saying was a, is a big deal is that games um, are actively being designed for a you know over the shoulder perspective, so other people can participate in somebody else playing the game as a spectator. Is that a, is that sort of the summary? 
yeah absolutely that that was that, and that was pretty much what they were doing it was it was yeah it was kind of like i think the game that one of the games they were showing was a bit like a, do you remember a celebrity death match uh, <laughs> it was kind of with this with this hilarious commentary and these these very uh, fanciful kind of uh, characters on screen with this uh, with a with a live commentator but at the same time you had this 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 massive audience sort of uh, as Stephen says, you know, throwing in uh, help or, or or things to impede, actually, to impede and and cheering for your character, and those things had a, you know, rallied the character on so that they could. Uh, the characters and the characters were. It's called C H K N Chicken, and the characters were uh, chickens battling an arena with spikes and all sorts of things. I I highly encourage people to go look at the the. CHK and the chicken. But the cool thing, Rob, is you it's being built for people to watch other people play games and, right. and, and not just watch but interact. Um, and that, that that's what strikes me as really interesting because right when when I've thought of Twitch in the past as a streaming perspective, real time lag, you know, were not those weren't really big factors. You were basically consuming a, a stream. But we've closed that gap. So if you're interacting with a game in real time as a spectator and potentially being able to influence, it actually changes the mechanics of what we're building. Um, you know, it's different than an MMO. It's it's a it's an audience experience, but yet interactive. Wow, uh, it's a new. I, I hadn't appreciated. I've seen dynamics like that coming, but I hadn't appreciated how much they might influence game dev. It was, and they had four or five different examples. It was impressive. But let me bring uh, uh, Chathan on to this conversation too. Get him in started, and then we can roundtable in different directions. So we met with Chathan there from Macrometa, and what's cool is they've released uh, some plugins for Unity, which we're going to come back to. But Chathan had some thoughts about the kind of development that game developers are doing, and clearly they're not actively doing cloud native development and their understanding of networks is very interesting. So I wanted to bring him on to, to give that perspective. And Rob, I think this will quite surprise you because I know it surprised me. Hey guys, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, always a pleasure to be on Latest Shiny Podcast. Um, so my, my thoughts are that I was actually a little underwhelmed at GDC. Um, and, you know, yes, I, I think I was really impressed with Genvid as well. I, I met with Jacob, their CEO, a while back and, and seen, you know, some early previews of what they were doing. It was mind-blowing. But overall, outside of things like Stadia from Google and, you know, maybe a few cool startups like Genvid, overall, I think the reason I was really underwhelmed is that I still think that the biggest problem that the gaming industry has is it has such a high... Uh, barrier to entry for people to produce uh, content, meaningful games, etc. Because writing games is still too complex and too hard. And I think you're going to see, you know, um, a lot of underwhelming uh, games come out, even though the infrastructure and the platforms are super sophisticated and you can potentially move into a model that's more like Netflix over the next coming years. You know, where's the content going to come from? That's sort of the big uh, question that I was trying to answer whether, you know, we're going to get there. Because I like to think about the YouTube moment, right? I mean, in some ways, YouTube was enabled by the fact that anyone can produce content for YouTube with a cell phone. And, you know, that probably creates a huge opportunity for everyone to syndicate all kinds of interesting things that are happening in their lives and, you know, put them on YouTube. And now we're trying to move towards a YouTube-like model for gaming, but the tools that are required to create these interactive pieces of content, you know, you still need a, a freaking PhD 
and you need to learn how to write in C and C++, and you need to know a lot of very, very arcane networking nonsense to be able to do all this stuff. And so, you know, I kind of came out a little pissed, actually. So that, that's how a I did. A little pissed, a little, just that it's so hard. And there's, there's so much in what you're describing, right? There's um, really questioning what games are it, it, at, some, at some fundamental level. So why were you, you were pissed just because it was so hard? It, we haven't made it easier to create a game? Yeah, I think so. You know, we talk about uh, the, you know, the, the gaming, the gamers are sort of classified into multiple buckets, right? You've got casual gamers, you've got, you know, I guess hobbyists, and then you've got sort of people who are very, very passionate about it and spend a lot of money on that. That kind of classifies the types of gamers. But I think the level of effort required to produce games for either of those three buckets are pretty much the same. It's not that it's necessarily easier to produce games for a casual gamer. I think that's one of the biggest problems that I see, which is the cost and the amount of effort required to produce even something semi-simple uh, that that can address a quick, you know, uh, I need to, you know, I need, I, my fingers are twitchy. I need to play something right now. You know, that sort of a effort required is is too high. The bar is too high, and as a result, we're not able to tap the great unwashed masses for ideas and content that would really bring about. Uh, the ability to make games, you know, as pervasive as watching YouTube is. And I was really excited about Stadia because I think among, you know, the, the, the streaming stuff is cool, but I was blown away by the, the YouTube integration because I think that's really clever. If we can actually make gaming consumption uh, as quick and easy as consuming YouTube, that's amazing. But where the fish is the content. Where are those games that millions of people are going to produce that will actually get me engaged and you know, spending a great deal of my time playing these games—that's sort of the big question. But you're, but you're questioning something to me, and, and I'm not in the game dev space. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the infrastructure side, so I, I'm, I'm thinking about what it would take to do that. But I want to step back because if you're talking about, you know, games are usually to me like story and content and media, right? It's, it's as much the programming and the infrastructure to support the game as it is the story and the, you know, the dynamics. How how do you get you know the YouTube experience where it's you know you know cat videos and you know people falling off chairs? Does that how does that make a good game in your mind? And maybe it shouldn't be that, but you know is is that is that where TikTok and Vine become you know the new game platform? I you know so you I think you're hitting on something really important. It it, it it's. The equivalent in gaming of cat videos and people falling off chairs and things like that, there's there's some equivalent of that that should be very easy to produce and consume. I think the consumption side of that is getting addressed by a lot of the things that's happening in the space, but the production side of that is really, really hard. Because to your point, it involves programming. But unlike the web where now we have technologies that make programming very, very easy and simple and the barrier entry is pretty low, you know, JavaScript, things like that. It's still very much driven by C, C++. If you want to do anything reasonably clever on the gaming side. And that's sort of the big thing that, uh, you know, that, that, I'm, that I'm concerned about. Jathan, I was just going to add to that. There's no open source in any of these tools, Rob. There's no open source there at all, which is weird. And the people there just do not even talk about infrastructure. They're all focused on the story, the music, and the graphics. And so 
you know, they want to do these amazing delivery things to the end, to, to the edge or to the user, but none of them know how to do that. I, I think that's a really good point. Well, that's, but this, and I guess this is to me, and maybe this is just the big gap, right? Is, is if you want, inter, you know, these high value, like Alan was talking about high value interactive experiences, infrastructure will matter for those, those games. Um, and maybe there's, you know, maybe there, there is a game infrastructure, um, conference. Maybe there isn't. I don't know. They all use Alan. I, I we saw there the gaming platforms. Yeah. You can always look at who's in charge by the size of the booths, right? <laughs> and, uh, on the big booths were, uh, I forget the name, uh, the, the unity unreal and, uh, valve. So, I mean, oh, valve didn't, valve didn't make as much of a, a noise there as unity and, uh, and uh, Unreal, but uh, they were there somewhere. Interesting. So yeah, those those big studios could be uh, effectively become new platforms for these types of experiences. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, I mean, I had a chat with one of the one of the guys there. Like I say, I think he was when I was saying how friendly and open to conversation. You know, they were. Um, you know, it was the uh, the the Unity one of the Unity guys. Uh, I was had in my mind, and uh, you know, he was. You know, he was just he was gushing with how great it was to work for Unity and how great Unity was and what it was doing in the in the in the gaming space and how easy it, it, it made it for people to create games. So I mean obviously that was that was their perspective. Um but I mean I you know the just touching on the Google Stadia thing, I mean I, I agree with, with you guys that you know it was super impressive um you know what they've announced um i kind of felt that it was missing a few things for me it was it was trying to it felt like a scattergun approach to me to the gaming industry um and to the types of um consumer of games so you know there's like you've got the professional guys you know who are, who are really doing the esports thing you've got your competitive ones and your casual gamers um and you know, really, people move between those consumers move between those those classifications, and and depending on you know the level of performance that you you need for that kind of experience, you know, there are going to be different gaming architectures that are going to deliver that experience. And and for me, Stadia was should really be something based at the the kind of casual gamer level, you know, any device, any place, anytime, anywhere, you know, that kind of that kind of story. Um, but it was really trying to pitch it itself at triple a titles that have you know generally speaking are, are you know are the domain of the the competitive gamer who's trying to get the best performance the highest resolutions and and i kind of felt it kind of missed that for me i actually went and played on one of the games there, and i mean don't get me wrong it was cool and the technology is cool um but it it, it did for me it didn't hit the mark for what i would classify as a high performance gaming experience did you um, did you notice he was forced to go play and try the games? Did you notice? I was that? forced to. I was I was forced <laughs> much, and I had to go and play Assassin's Creed and uh, <laughs> for for a good hour or so. Chief, so, yeah. I wanted to come back to you because one of the things is you have in Unity, uh, Macrometa. You guys have put a plugin in Macrometa, and so I I thought it'd be good to talk about a little bit about what that's like, how plugins are important, and then we discussed. How in the world do you get developers to find your plugin? And I, I thought that was interesting as well. Sure. So just to give a, uh, the listeners a little context on Macrometal, we're not a gaming company. We're, we're basically an edge data platform. And what we built is a combination of a global database that sits across hundreds of data locations worldwide uh, and can store and ingest and process data in milliseconds 
along with a streaming engine for you to process data in real time. And the ability to embed complex server-side logic uh, along with the data as containers and functions so you can actually express your backend logic for most of your applications all together and run at the edge. And so when we look at that, we, we see that there is an you know, absolute uh, value proposition in the gaming space because a lot of these games, you know, uh, they need to be driven by data. There's a lot of state information within a game uh, from everything within that's happening inside the game to objects that are in the game that might be in one state, one second, and then you shoot at it and its state has changed or you know, things have happened in the environment. To even players who are playing there and the stats and you know, kind of live telemetry that you need to collect around each player. So, you know, our view is that we've got a value proposition being able to ingest all of that information that might be coming out of a game in, in a very short amount of time and then allow you to do analytics on that that can then enrich the game experience and make it more engaging. But more importantly for the game publishers, provide you opportunities to really monetize that game in more interesting ways. You see a player struggling in one part of the map, you know, maybe the AI can now use the analytics that we provide to try and incent the, the, the player to buy something that might help them get over their you know, current challenge in that level. So with that view, we kind of started to write a bunch of plugins into gaming engines. We picked um, Unity because it's, it's probably the most straightforward platform out there. It's really well written um, and exposed our database as well as our stream data processor as a set of APIs inside of Unity. Um, and, you know, uh, we've got mixed reactions so far. Uh, one of the things that our game can, that our plugin can actually do is replace a big chunk of the networking code that's inside of Unity. And instead of using the low level sort of, uh, you know, uh, 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 low level uh, constructs that Unity provides for you to do networking, you can actually use a modern pumps up system like, you know, enterprises use for processing millions of messages in a second. Uh, and you can you can essentially take everything from things like keyboard, mouse events to all the high level stuff like a player entered a certain section of a map, triggered a certain uh, you know object, et cetera. You can essentially model all of that as messages and use our platform for distributing those messages among servers and clients and you know and and really reduce the complexity of building these sorts of games. So one of the things that we we learned as we built this and took it to uh, different different developers was that, you know, this whole modern way of building apps that we have uh, in, in, in the data center and the cloud side of the world and the enterprise side of the world, gaming world is about 15 years behind. You know, when we talk about a big web application in, in our world, we talk about maybe a, a few hundred thousand users potentially accessing a system with several tens of thousands of users being concurrent. In the gaming world, you know, a, a pretty big game is maybe a thousand people playing simultaneously together. And you know, for the dynamics are very different. The way a thousand people would stress a game engine out are very different from the way you know hundred thousand users would stretch would stress a, a, a web stack out. But fundamentally, these guys are locked into a monolith model of building apps that is very, very, uh, I'd say, early two thousands. Um, and you know, as a result of that their ability to actually take advantage of the infrastructure that is so amazing and coming up on the edge and you know all the beautiful things that are happening that Rob and Stephen you know, talk about regularly, I, I think their ability to take advantage of that is very, very limited. Uh, and so in some ways, I look at Stadia as, as sort of uh, you know, really opening that up and making that class of infrastructure now accessible to crappy programmers in gaming because they can still write and hug their monoliths 
but it can somehow run on this infrastructure and be distributed and available on a much more modern way to people who consume it, you know, through through web browsers primarily. So, so wait a second. I, I want to I want to sort of unpack that, and then I I want to jump to Alan on the Stadia piece uh, because what what you're describing to me is you know this old this older tech where we built for platforms or we built for PCs, and a lot of the focus was on the device that you you had to develop for, and that was where the experience resided. And what you're describing is a transition of the experience off of the device and into the network. Um, I'm, I'm resisting the word cloud because it's it it's more it's more you're, you're networked so that things are happening outside of the device. Alan, it, it it looked to me looking at Stadia just very briefly that it's sort of like this this backend processor that you're moving the game experience into the cloud um, yeah. versus trying to depend. Is is that what's going on? Can you explain that a little bit for us? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, Google were very. Uh, well, they were they were mostly open with what they were saying, but you know, there's there is no you know detailed architecture that's been released. But I mean, the the general principles here are that you know you have a couple of different ways you can do uh, you know game rendering. You either you know do it on the device that you that you're playing the game on, um, and you know those higher end games will need need some kind of GPU. And uh, you know the the more you spend on the GPU, and you know you can get into all kinds of you know, expensive solutions and then start to get into ray tracing things and you can get this great, you know, super fast um, frame, uh, uh, you know, new gaming experience. And and if you want to sort of do it the other way around, then, you know, you move all of that into the, into the, into the cloud, as you say. And then that's kind of what Stadia are doing. You know, they're, they're applying, you know, not just one GPU, but uh, a number of GPUs for, for various different, um, you know, rendering uh, parts of the rendering process. Uh, I think one of the, the demonstrations I saw there, they were using, uh, you know, two or three GPUs um, to do different aspects. Um, and they got amazing results with that. The The challenge then is that you've got to deliver it as video. Um, so then you have to put it through an encoder. Um, an encoder, you know, is, is not to, you know, is a loss of a uh, lossy process so you end up um, throwing away a lot of that wonderful information and then compressing it as video so that you can deliver it to to the end device so you know they were talking about i think it was uh, uh 1080p uh, running at 25 meg um and 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 then obviously talking about a, a roadmap to to 4k and and beyond and you know, you're, you're getting into some, you know, this is pretty challenging stuff to get a, you know, super low latency or zero latency delivery of video um, to a, to something that requires such that, that that low latency experience to handle, you know, the command traffic to the to the cloud and then, you know, deliver the almost zero latency, the response. You, I think you just like filled my bingo card though for edge use cases. <laughs> um, yeah. I was I, I wanted to shout bingo, but I I had to give the reference first. Did, did, uh, did I say did I say edge at all? Then I don't think I did. You didn't, and that's what I love. It's it, it's the use case <laughs> that you're describing because because what what you're saying is because and this is so fun because I want to unpack it. You know, the devices that people are buying are really good at streaming video because that's the yeah you know far and away primary use case. So if you're buying phones, computers, tablets, whatever. Networks, they are really good at streaming video. 
Mm-hmm. The rendering stuff that you're describing, we're actually getting really good at doing those in data centers and actually edge data centers, right? The cable companies are proliferating that capability. Um, GPUs are coming along so quickly that like, you know, people aren't buying them for their, definitely not for their phones and tablets, but even the gaming PCs has always been sort of an era thing. Even the consoles, you know, if, if you could offload the, you know, the fancy GPUs into the, you know, into a data center and not in the console and count on high bandwidth streaming, mm-hmm. then you're changing the economics for a console. All of a sudden, the console could become even cheaper and let the games and the content pay for the GPUs and the data center that do the rendering which are all these edge cases. This is one of our, a theme on, on past shows has been the, the killer use case, which has been not requiring consumers to buy expensive stuff is how I, my, that's what I can think of the use, use case. And what you just named it, you just, everything you did described it. So I'm, I'm just pulling it back for, for the listeners. Um, are these things, I mean, and it, it's not just Google, right? It sounds like Apple's getting into this. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there are there are many there are many companies um, that are well. I say many. There are there are a number that you can mention that are doing it. You know, uh, there's one that uh, I know quite well called uh, Blacknut that are doing this kind of thing. They've been around for for ages. Um, you know, Sony. Um, you know, they did a uh, PlayStation Now where you know that's kind of within the play the Sony PlayStation environment. Um, and you know, there are others that are on the that are talking about announcing this. Um, and I think I think for me the the bit that I like is I think that this really is a great thing for the for the the gaming industry. It's it's yet another way, you know, as a consumer, it's another way for me to and for us to consume games. It's and um, we know we don't have to. I think uh, Peter was saying, you know, when you got that that thumb twitch, you want to start playing, right? Um, you don't have to go and boot up your console or you know down get your PC going and download a a. Uh, you know the latest patch to get the game you know it's all taken care of in the cloud and you know it's it's delivered as video to whatever device you want to use um i don't think it's a silver bullet for the for for gaming architecture i think it's one of a number of ways to deliver a gaming experience and and i just think it's great for the consumer and and it and you know as i'm going to mention the edge i do think that the edge has a, a role to play um, you know, technologies like Chitama was talking about also, you know, have a real role to play here in, in gaming architectures going forward. Um, so I think it's really exciting. I can't wait to see what comes next. Uh, so in some ways, you know, if I look at Stadia and, and Stephen, you, you can probably relate given your Citrix background. I almost see Stadia as the equivalent of virtual desktops. So what we're doing is basically virtualizing the console which is, you know, today in somebody's home, like somebody had a PC, and we're basically turning it over to a machine and running it on um, on a server somewhere in, the, in a data center. And, you know, so I think a lot of the complexities that uh, have challenged virtual desktop infrastructure also play out over here. So the one big one that I have, for example, is how is this thing going to be priced? One of the things that we saw with virtual desktops was that you know it was going to be something like eight or nine times more expensive for you to get a virtual desktop in the cloud? This is going back five six years than it was to actually own and run your own PC. And I think uh, Stadia has some of the same problems over here because when I was talking to some of the people about what kind of density is one of these servers that Google has to get, the answer was between eight and ten users per server. Mm-hmm. And so think about that server. It's a thirty thousand dollar server. Eight or ten users on that. 
you know, uh, the economics of that, you know, are, are pretty suspect in my mind, because one of the things that has to happen for this platform like Stadia to become, you know, a de facto or a mainstream platform is that it's got to be able to handle users at a price point, uh, especially for casual gamers, where it doesn't pinch. Now, ideally, it's free and there's monetization that's happening through ads and, you know, other other sort of things. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's something that I think is really interesting, which is uh, how they're going to figure pricing out for this, especially to Alan's point, if they're going to get out of the power gamers and trying to track the larger mainstream audience, which is, you know, really interested in playing casually or, you know, uh, not necessarily inter- interested in these very immersive uh, investments of their life in games that have massive storylines and things like that. That's a really good point. I mean, the, the business model is, again, is quite, I mean, well, the business model is, is quite elusive. Uh, and I don't mean it from they just, well, who pays whom for what? Um, it's in my experience of, of, of gamers, you know, you, you can spend, I don't know what it is in, in dollars, but let's say $300 on a console. And then usually they're attracted to the console because of a specific gaming title that they want to play. And then they spend $50 on the game. And, and you know, there may be some downloadable content that they may top on, you know, add to that experience. And a lot of them just stay loyal to that game. And then once they're into the game and the platform, then they end up in a community. That community, or they join a clan or a faction of, of gamers as well. And they all start playing this game together. And, and they, more often than not, it's quite difficult to get, you know, you've only got a set of eyeballs and it's difficult to get those eyeballs off that game into a different game. So, and that's not a subscription model really, where it's an all you can eat banquet of games. So I think, you know, when we talk about these kind of business models, we also need to be cognizant of the kind of, um, you know, communities that of gamers that we're trying to address with, with the technology as well. Yeah, one, more, one other point I think that where the edge becomes really relevant is, you know, most of these gaming uh, systems have been built around peer-to-peer networks. And the Achilles heel over here, and I tend to, you know, I have a, maybe a different opinion. I don't think latency matters as much as jitter over here. Because if you don't, if you have relatively low jitter, you can actually get a reasonably good gaming experience even with bad latency uh, or high latencies. And I think where the edge uh, and data centers, frankly, matter is that you get very clean condition networks with very low jitter. And that now allows coordination and scaling of multiplayer games in a way that you can't do with peer-to-peer networks. And that's, again, one area that I'm really excited about what's happening with Edge and where the intersection of Edge and gaming comes in is because just we have higher quality data center network, data center class networks at the Edge, at least at the edge of the network. And those end up becoming, you know, aggregation points for us to bring feeds from hundreds of thousands of players at a time and allow, you know, better gameplay and better quality of service that you can't get in peer-to-peer networks. Um, So, you know, that's pretty cool and compelling for me. I was just going to say that that massively multiplayer, you know, online experience, you know, I think it's there for the taking. I think, you know, I've seen some signs of that kind of technology coming along to enable that. Um, I mean, obviously being, you know, uh, you know, being working with Stephen, I, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm biased towards uh, you know the edge and, and specifically like service providers participating in that ecosystem to, to deliver that experience. I think that that's the best way and the fastest way to, to build to deliver that kind of experience. And I think, you know, this kind of ecosystem that 
that can come together in this way will deliver what you just what you just said you wanted to see. I think that's going to happen with technology like yours, participation with uh, or participation from you know the uh, service providers. I think you know the gaming uh, you know ecosystem is going to get a real boost in how it can deliver these these performance dependent uh, games. This this strikes me as a really real opportunity, right? We I think one of the themes that I know Stephen was highlighting is that these aren't cloud native designs yet. We what you're describing is you know maybe we need a new term for edge native designs, but is is platforms. There's a missing platform component in in edge that allows people to take advantage of these these pieces. Um, and I, I think we've been highlighting what that is, um, and maybe it doesn't need to be a virtual desktop experience like Jethan was describing, but it could be something more rich and interactive with better APIs um, rather than just streaming a game from a virtual game console. Uh, and, and, and Rob is the biggest problem, I think, which is that we've got to move to an API model in gaming, not an SDK model. You know, if you remember back in the day, right, you essentially, if you were building any kind of a component in the software industry, which was middleware, you ended up being some library that people had to embed your code in. And that's probably the whole issue with Unity and Unreal, which is that you know you need to build plugins, which are really just libraries that get embedded in the engine and need to be called. That creates all kinds of problems for people who are building cool stuff to get distribution because people don't like SDKs. There's a big technical hurdle in learning them, et cetera. But if you can move sort of to the Zapier model of APIs online, where you can now mix and match APIs, you you like a really interesting function that one particular game provider is providing. You like a leaderboard function from someone else. You write the glue code and the game you know logic that makes it fun and interactive. But that's your IP, and you've got to be able to pull together the best of breed from several places. And an SDK model is just absolute shit show for doing those those sorts of things. I I see what you're saying, but but we've got to have building these platforms has got to be interactive, right? You're you're not going to have somebody build a global globe spanning interactive. Maybe Erickson will do it. But <laughs> you, we don't want to promote have, that. Although we you, have, you've got to you've got to have, but you've got to have some use case, and then you've got this weird revenue share because right now the game builders are building their own back ends. I, I love the vision, right? The idea that we're going to have a you know edge platform that enables us to use APIs to build great content on top of. We laid out the case for users creating a lot more content rather than game you know, having to be all handcrafted media from from game devs. But wow, the iterative process of getting that to come about, um, and then it's we're going to have to figure out the financial models, right? And I agree with you, the unities and the streams. You're going to cut me off, Stephen. I can feel it right now. I know, but I, uh, I, was, I was just going to say, Rob, because I am cutting everyone off because that's my job. Uh, no! I, this is the first time ever where I thought I was going to have to cut off our guests and not even us, which is fantastic. I, um, Alan and, and Chathan, this was great to have two guests. You guys are experiment today. I think this is our first time we ever had two guests, and I think the podcast really worked. And right. uh, to, to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we are pushing this out quickly because the Gaming Developer Conference was last week. And so we want to try to reach that audience. If you're a listener and you attended the event um, and you've never heard us before, thank you for listening. Or if you're a listener from the event and you want to disagree and you have other ideas about gaming and things like that, uh, Rob and I would love to have you on. 
Uh, we're always looking for new and interesting con- uh, content. The um, the only uh, other thing that I would say is um, there needs to be an open source gaming project. Maybe we should launch that uh, based on the amount of money Linux Foundation executives get. Rob and everyone, the four of us could launch it today and sell <laughs> it to Linux Foundation. They've been, they've been dropping new... Um new found new sub foundations about once a once a once a month so who knows maybe the gaming foundation will do that and for our listeners rob and i will be at the ons event uh next week in san jose if if you um are interested in recording us with us there drop us a line this goes out saturday and we'll be able to set something up we'll, we'll be down in um california again and alan i i will not get to eat as well as i did with yourself in san francisco <laughs> San Jose just doesn't quite have uh, as good a choice as to eat. I don't think so, but I will. I will explore. I find us on Castro. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, let me know. I think I'm there the week after you, so you, I will take. <laughs> I'll take your uh, travel tips. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining. Uh, great podcast on gaming. It was good fun, and uh, I am sure we will have both of you on again in the near future to to talk more uh chathan talk more about where your company's going your technology you know we the last podcast we had before you launched so we didn't get a chance to go in detail so we'll do that and alan i definitely think we should talk more about the streaming issues and and the importance of uh service providers at the edge as well so thanks everyone and uh look forward to talking to you all again in the near future well, so thanks everyone and uh, look forward to talking to you all again in the near future.